Hey, we are in a series, Advent Conspiracy. We did this last year. We'll do it year in, year out in some different ways. But the idea of Advent Conspiracy is that we would try and lean into this season of Advent. Advent is the idea in the church calendar where we think about in the first century when they were waiting for the coming of the Messiah, when they were waiting for Jesus. Now on this side of it, we wait for the second coming of God. We are using the lectionary text, which churches all around the world use as a way to worship and go through scripture, lectionary text, and we're using the epistles, the letters sort of towards the end of the Bible. And we are trying to get our hearts and minds around what does it mean to wait? What does it mean to live into this season in a bit of a different way? Last week we talked about waiting, and at the heart of Advent is waiting. And we are not good at waiting. If we are honest, we are not good at waiting. But we talked about the idea that biblical waiting has this patient, hopeful reality to it. That we know the circumstance itself is not the end of the story. And we do that in the context of community, that we do it together, that we wait together. And this week we're going to talk about peace. What I want you to do, and we're going to talk out loud, when I say the word peace again, so the next time I say the word P-E-A-C-E, uh, I want you to say out loud the first word that comes to your mind. Ready? Peace. I'm going to do it again, just pretend like we're awake. Peace. Okay, we, in general, th this happens so beautifully in church, is we come in and we, we sort of put on our church hat and we say words that are really good. Peace, joy, love, Jesus. Who said Jesus? We do need to talk about that, friends. <laughs> but we generally say pretty, pretty positive words because we think of Texts like Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says, for a child is born to us, a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Here's the truth. In my life and as I go through my normal everyday week, I see a lot of non-peace. I see a lot of things around me and in me that speak a story that's not peace. We mentioned it last week, but all around the news we see a story that is the opposite of peace and it's all about racism, right? All, all that has happened coming from this Ferguson thing. We look and we see non-peace in relationships. We see it in marriages. I see it in my marriage, and as a pastor, I see it in many marriages that come into my office. We see it at schools. I was talking to a friend this week, and at a school up in the cities, a junior high girl committed suicide because she had been made fun of just far too long. A lack of peace in relationships. Relationships at church. If you're new to Crossview, we're not perfect here. There's people sitting in this room who don't have relationships that are in the right place, that aren't at peace with one another. Many of you in 10 days will have your family coming over to your house, you're going to your family's house, and for many of you, that's an oh no moment, right? If you're really honest. Like I, I, I've gotta go see that person that I only see once a year because our relationship is not at peace. But here's what I believe with my whole heart. I believe that we are created for peace. We are hardwired to be in right relationship with God and one another. 
And in our text this morning, we're going to try and wrap our minds around why we don't do that and what does peace look like. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-15 through 15 is where we're going to be. And the background to Peter is this is written to a church that is under severe persecution. They are under persecution to the point of death. And so naturally, one of the things they are hoping and talking about and looking forward to is for God to come again. They're already in the new advent. They're already waiting for God to come again and make things right. And in the midst of that, they're experiencing a lot of false teachers who are telling them truths about what that will look like that are not true. Verse 8 says this. But you must not forget, literally ignore. You must not ignore this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. It's a quote from Psalm 90. Important for us us to understand that our perception of time is not the same as God's. It's important to understand in the moment of whatever you're going through, whatever you're waiting for, that our perception of time, when we're in the moment, no matter how painful it is, that our perception of time is not the same as God's. Verse 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow. Literally late. The Lord's not late. I mean, you think he was supposed to show up at 9 o'clock and you, you had him under your time. The Lord is not late about his promises, some people think. No, he is being patient. I'm going to see that word twice in this text. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed or perish, but wants everyone to repent. And that word repent means that they would change their hearts and lives and actually turn towards Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that at the end. That they would turn from whatever they are believing in, whatever shame, whatever pride, whatever sin, whatever worldview, whatever kingdom they have built up, that they would repent and turn from that and put their trust in King Jesus. And then verse 10. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. In this time and in our time, there is people get enamored with the return of God, with end times theology. And what this text tells us that is so important to understand is no one knows when God is going to return. People speculate, people make predictions. In 2001 in Congo, there was a false prophet. They made a prediction that ended up wrong. And so he killed a thousand of his followers. People are all the time making predictions about when God is going to return. Anytime you see that, anytime you sniff a theology that's about that, please understand that is false teaching. That is not scriptural teaching that is based in reality, that is based in scripture. Peter is, in Peter, we are finding that it's going to come as a thief in the night. You don't know when. And your understanding of time is not the same as God's understanding of time. In the first century, they wanted it, and we want it now, right? We want God to make things right again. And then the text goes on to say, Then the heavens will pass away with the terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything in it. Literally all of the deeds that are done here on earth that are not of God will be destroyed, will be found to deserve judgment. Verse 11 says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, all the deeds that are against the way of God, what holy and godly lives you should live. Let's stop there for a second. It's fair to say that the return of Christ, the return of God, should influence the way we live, right? Knowing that one day God is going to return and make things right should influence how we live. For some of you, this is how I grew up, for some of you, for some of you just, you don't think about it. Oh, God's going to return, that's a new reality, and we'll break that down. For some of you, you grew up and that caused fear. 
How many of you watched one of those end times movies, movies growing up for two weeks after it, you couldn't sleep, right? Can I get an amen? That's not good theology either. It should not induce in us a fear in that way. Understanding that God will one day come and make things right here again should put in us a healthy understanding of how we are to live. And it goes on to tell us what that looks like. Looking forward, verse 12, looking forward to the day of the Lord and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away into the flames. Verse 13, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. At the end of last week, we read Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And it's this picture of the new heavens and new earth. When Jerusalem comes down, the end times is not you being swept away to some somewhere. The end times is God coming back and making this right again. Eden 2.0. Things are restored. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Things are good. And in our core, that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for things to be made right again. In verse 14, this is what I want to sit with this morning. And so, those of you who understand grammar, and so means I've said all this, now listen to this. Dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort, strive, work, Make it happen. Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. It's intriguing with the idea that God's coming back, is going to restore all things, and that should affect the way we live. The pure and blameless is not some list of moral standards, not some list of do's and don'ts. The pure and blameless lives that we're supposed to be living while we wait, it's our right relational world. It's peaceful lives in the relationships around us. It's easy to do the do's and don'ts. It's hard to be at peace in my relational world. Amen? If we're really honest, that's the hard one. And then verse 15. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. The word peace. In the Greek, it's irene. In the Hebrew, it's shalom. And it means this idea of completion or wholeness. Things are not fractured. Things are not broken. Things are not messed up. Things are good. Things are right. There's a wide range of meanings for these words. It's fulfillment. It's completion. It's maturity. It's soundness. It's wholeness. It's harmony, it's tranquility, it's security, it's welfare, it's friendship, it's agreement, it's things being right. The core of this word is people entering into a state of wholeness and unity where relationships are restored. This summer when we went through the fruit of the Spirit and we talked about peace, I gave you this very simple definition. The peace is right relationships with God and others. And we know that because we feel and we've lived into what the opposite of it is. We know broken relationships. We know relationships that are full of fear, of control, of bitterness and anger. We know a lack of peace in the circumstances of life because we worry, we have anxiety. We react in unhealthy ways. We run from things. We hide from things. We lash out against people. We lash out against the things that are going on around us. And I think in the most basic way, in the most basic truth, 
There's three very simple types of peace in Scripture that I think this is referring to, that we need to live into. Three different ones, spiritual, emotional, and relational. First one is this. It's peace with God. I think in this Advent season, if we're going to wait well, whatever the circumstances of life, if we're going to have peace, it starts with peace with God, spiritual peace. Romans 5 verse 1 says this. Now that we have been put right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 10 verse 36 says this. And what is the message of good news for the people of Israel? That there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Friends, the most important peace you can have is peace with God, which comes through a trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the most important peace you can have. Orrin McManus says this. It's so good. He said, life without God is starvation of the soul. Isn't that good? Life without God is starvation of the soul because you and I are made to be in relationship with God. We're hardwired. We have a God-sized hole inside of us that we try to fill with all different things and it's made for a relationship with God. McManus goes on to say, my soul doesn't crave something from God. My soul craves God. And by the way, so does yours. That's why everything else will leave you unsatisfied in the end. All the evidence you need to prove God is waiting within you is within you. Friends, we are made to relate to God. And we will try and satisfy it with so many different things, with our own pride, with our shame, with our sin, whatever it might be. And the invitation for peace with God is simply to repent, which means to turn from all of that and to put faith and trust in the living God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Second is this, emotional peace. Emotional peace. And these are related. They almost build on each other. John 14, 27, right before Jesus is going to walk to the cross and he's talking to his disciples and giving some parting words, he says, I am leaving you with a gift. And he'd been talking about the Holy Spirit, so there's reference to this presence of God that will be in them. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of heart and mind. The peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. It's intriguing. I mean, like the disciples are going to have a hard go of it. Right? They're going to start the church. Some of them are going to die. It's probably going to affect their family relationships. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace. The presence of God is in you, and so you'll be able to be in the midst of whatever that is, that circumstance, that moment in life, and you'll still be able to have peace. I love Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. How many people just need to stop there for a while? <laughs> like, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. By the way, a great sort of, for those of us who struggle with worry, just start talking to God. Like, God wants to talk to you, right? Pray about everything. 
Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. If you do this, you're, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. And th- th- that's the beauty of this text. It's like, you can't logically prove this kind of peace, can you? The peace when you're in the midst of that thing that you're waiting for and it's really painful and it's really hard and yet you still have peace that God's still God. I read an interview this week by an author, Sarah Hagerty, who's written a book, Every Bitter Thing is Sweet. Love that title. And she talks about her journey with infertility and how that played out in her relationship with God and her marriage and all these different things. And she said, the point I got to and I had to get to that changed everything was being in the middle of it, being in the midst of the pain, being in that place of waiting, and yet being able to say, God is Like, that's peace. I remember the first time I stood around the bed of someone that was dying. We had a, uh, this was pre-kids, we had a a small group when we lived out in Philadelphia, and it was um, about 20 people from junior hires to uh, people in their 90s. And I remember being at the hospital when Ginny, who was in her 90s, was passing away. And standing around that bed with her family, and as they were watching their, the sort of the matriarch of their family pass away, singing Amazing Grace, there was this sense of like, it's okay. This isn't the end of the story. You can have peace in the midst of this. It's what Asaph in Psalm 73, when he's sitting there griping about everything that's going on out in the world, it's messed up, it's, it's you know, wicked people are getting ahead. God, I don't understand it. I'm thinking about walking away from my faith. He's just distraught. And then he gets to the end of Psalm 73 and he says, God's good. I don't get it. I don't understand it. God's good. There could be this sense in the worst of times that there is a peace that God is still God. Last one is this. Peace with each other. It's this relational peace that the cross, which restores our relationship to God, it forgives our sins when we turn towards Jesus Christ, that the cross actually restores our relationship with each other. Ephesians 2 says this. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathen. Apparently that was a derogatory term. Uncircumcised heathen by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, listen to this, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship among God's, the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. In other words, with no peace. Verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's, if it stopped there, we would actually be missing part of what the gospel is about, what a part, part of what the good news does. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united the Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. That the cross of Jesus Christ restores our relationships. That it restores relationships amongst ethnicities. Followers of Jesus Christ 
should have different conversations in the midst of racial conflict. Followers of Jesus Christ should have a relational world that looks far different than those around them. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Romans 12, 18. I know about you, I need this verse often. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And during this season, we often need to hear that. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the presence of Jesus Christ inside of you, the the presence of God that is in anybody that has put their faith in Jesus Christ, part of what that expresses is a life that should be exemplified by peace. Our relationships should be restored, made right at peace, which is tough because we can make every excuse in the book to not restore a relationship, right? Right? Whether it's power, whether it's shame, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, I don't want to be hurt again, they'll do it again. Whatever the excuse is, we walk away from peace again and again and again. And I think the invitation of Advent, the invitation of Christmas, the invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for us to lean into relationships that need to be restored and bring peace. And here's the challenge of the how-to. As I know it in my life, I know it as I interact with many of you. There's no script. There's no script about being a peacemaker. You see, peacemakers enter in. Just as Jesus moved into the neighborhood, we enter in, whatever it is. And I understand the caveats of you know, different margins and things, that boundaries that might need to happen, but followers of Jesus are peacemakers. We move in, we reconcile, we restore, we forgive, we repent, we listen instead of just talking to. We enter into the places of non-peace and we bring peace. This summer when we talked about peace in the Fruit of the Spirit series, I asked you this question. Is Jesus so present and is Jesus so real in you that peace is the normal way in which you do life? Is Jesus so present, is Jesus so real in you that somebody would look at you and your relationship with God, the way you view whatever you're going through in your human relationships and someone would say, they're they're at peace with things. Things are right. Things are good. I don't know about you, this is one of those messages that I don't like to hear. I don't like to give either. Because it means when I walk out of this room, if I'm really a follower of Jesus who has heard the word of God and the Holy Spirit wants to work through that, that means I've got to do something. Amen? Amen? Yeah. So what we want to do is give you space to do that. The band's going to come up as I close here. And they're going to sing a song over us. We're just going to sit and pray and take it in. And uh, my hope for you is that you hear from God. And uh, for some of you here this morning, I think what you need to hear from God is that you need to receive peace. 
you've been coming and checking this church thing out, you've been running from God, whatever it is, but you've never fully heard the good news that is Jesus Christ and turn from whatever it is that you need to turn from, whatever sin, whatever shame, whatever brokenness, whatever pride, whatever it is that you're trying to satisfy your life with, that you would turn from that and that during this song, that you'd put your trust in Jesus Christ. God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. And that you are only going to have peace with God himself when you turn in faith to him. And then for many of us in this room, I think we're going to hear the word that we need to offer peace to somebody. That as we leave this room, that a name, a relationship, that God would speak that into your life. And that you would enter in. You would enter in. As a peacemaker looking to restore the God that Jesus is so present in you, that you can do nothing other than actually enter in and bring peace. God, as we hear you, I pray, Lord, that we would receive whatever that is. The invitation to trust you, to receive you into our lives, God. To follow you. And then for a lot of us, God, the invitation to go and be a peacemaker. Maybe it's in a marriage. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's on Christmas Day with a family member. Give us strength to enter in, to be peacemakers. Amen.